This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. You're listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equity Mates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own Now time. you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Well, welcome back to Get Started Investing, a podcast where we attempt to answer the most common money and investing questions from our community to help us all become better investors. If you're joining us for the very first time, a massive welcome. Thank you for joining the Get Started Investing community and congratulations on starting your investing journey. We do strongly recommend that you scroll up and start at episode one. Now, while we are licensed, we are not aware of your personal circumstances. All information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only. But with that said, my name my name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Episode nine, uh, you're starting to lose it. it. Fumbled yeah. at the finish line. <laughs> but that's all right. I, you've got this. I believe in you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and we've got a particularly interesting episode today. The innovation that has been ETFs has really opened up the world of uh, investing for investors like you and I, small dollar investors. And we can now invest in far more than just shares in the share market. Yeah. And that's what we're going to be unpacking today. That's it. We are continuing with our Under the Hood series supported by Global X ETFs. We're episode nine, only two to go. It's been an awesome series. Every episode, we have equipped ourselves with another tool in our kit to help us analyze ETFs. And it's our pleasure to welcome back to the studio, uh, Head of Investment Strategy at Global X, Blair Hannon. Blair, welcome. Boys, great to be back. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun. We've um we've got uh, two to go, and you're closing both out. No pressure. Yeah, the best to last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, save the best to last. That's it. Now, um, Global X are a leading player in the ETF industry, and they really pride themselves on their industry leading research team. And I hope we've been able to expose you to that uh, expertise over the last sort of eight episodes or so. Phenomenal uh, global access, and uh, as we've been going under the hood, and as we go under the hood today, make sure you check out the website globalxetfs.com.au. Today, we're asking, how do we approach non-equity investments with ETFs? And as always, we've been asking the Equity Mates community before we created this series to give us some of the biggest questions they have when it comes to analyzing ETFs. And this was certainly one of them. So here's a question from the Equity Mates community to kick things off. Hey, Equity Mates. I try and keep pretty across the news, especially with what's going on lately. And I've noticed that bonds are coming back into the equation in a pretty big way. Is there a way for me to get exposure to this through ETFs and how would you go about exploring this? Awesome question. So that's where we're going to today and we're going under the hood with the Global X USD High Yield Bond ETF, ticker USHY. When we go under the hood, we'll understand it all. But I think, Blair, the, the place to start is just to get our heads around how much the world of investing has been opened up by ETFs and what are the options available these days? This is the point of ETFs because when you think about what they are, they're just a wrapper with something inside it. So that can be equity. Equity is great, which is you know what you probably talked about for the bulk of um, this Under the Hood series. But it also can be, in the case of this, which is a bond, uh, it can be you know a range of other things, which you know things like futures, which again very hard for you know regular investors to get access to, not non institutional investors. Um, it can be things like gold, you know, holding physical gold, probably maybe not be able to afford a whole gold bar. Like, you know, whatever it is, 
you know, it's real estate, another one. Like you, you can now wrap it in an ETF, stick it on an exchange, again, opens up to everyone. Yeah. So it's, it's a really, like, you can go to go all the way back and go, well, it's essentially an investment technology that has opened the world up to everyone and broken down that mentality of, you know, whatever, whatever it was, you know, high minimums to get into some of these asset class, whatever it is, now it's open to everyone. And the abundance of them being available, uh, you know, backed by the growth, you know, people using them is exactly why they continue to grow. Mm, mm. Gone are the days of having to go and buy an actual gold bullion and storing it under the, uh, under the mattress. Can just buy an ETF now. Well, you can also buy gold bullion <laughs> yeah, if you want. Yeah. If you want. <laughs> and then set bars up around your house and no one comes in. That's up to you. The thing that we really want to get across in this episode is while they all may look the same, these ETFs own very different assets. And, you know, we've spoke, you mentioned the gold one there. And then on the other hand, there is a uh, Bitcoin ETF or an Ethereum ETF. And you buy them through the same broker and you put in a ticker code and they look and act the same, but the assets they're holding are very different. And so it's important to go under the hood with them. Yeah, look, it is. I think, and this is the, it's that whole, it's kind of Netflix mentality. The amount of choice now is so great that not everything is equal. Mm. So that's exactly the point you want to make. I think there's like something like nearly 9,000 globally, which is out of control. Oh my Obviously goodness. out of control. <laughs> now, the good thing is for Australians, it is the numbers are still going up, as you would expect, but it's sort of just above 300, which is still a huge which number. Which is still a huge, huge number. Huge number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, Do you reckon there's but, someone at the ASX who can name them all? <laughs> I know the guys at ASX and no. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, maybe there is, I'm not sure. But I think the, the good thing is is that at least you can break it down. And obviously, we're talking about non-equities, and that's, you know, obviously out, out of that section, there's a whole bunch of other ways you can um, you know, dissect these. But there is segments that you can allocate. So you can say, oh, it's a, these are Australian equities ETFs. These are international equity ETFs. These are Australian bond ETFs. These are international. Like, you, you can then start to narrow that down. So it is a huge list. But depending on what you want as part of the portfolio, you can figure that out by looking at a, a small, much smaller list yeah, yeah. and then narrow that down to what you want. Mm. So I think that's the, the power. And, and I know the good thing is whatever investing platform you use, a lot of them do have screeners now that you can start to, you know, tick a box and it will only give you 10 rather yeah, than, yeah. than starting from 300. Mm. And then you can rank them any way you like or, or dig under the hood, mm. you know, uh, any way you like. So it's becoming easier. Uh, and it will continue to become easier because as that ecosystem in Australia grows, more tools get put into place to help people figure out what they need. It doesn't That doesn't neglect you from having to do the work and mm. figure out mm. if it's actually right for you or not. So, um, Blair, just like we spoke about with Kanish in an earlier episode about how ETFs have opened us up to the global opportunities of investing in global markets and he gave some tips on navigating global ETFs. Are there any sort of tips you have on how to navigate ETFs that are giving us access to different asset classes? I think this is where some of them become a little bit esoteric. So you kind of, again, got to know what you're looking at. So if we think about, if we use bonds as an as a easy starting point and easy example, that's, they're reasonably basic, possibly more basic than equities or shares. Mm. But, you know, if you take out three layers, then you can start to go really, really deep and you don't want to do that. But essentially all it is is the debt of a company. Uh, and, and really the thing about, about, um, about fixed income ETFs or bond ETFs, you know, you can, whatever, one, whatever you want to put it is, those were essentially inaccessible for, mm. I'd go as far as saying, you know, 90% of investors mm. if they want diversification. Because if you, you know, the minimum spend was sort of 
circa half a million, yeah. then you get one bond of one company mm. or, or one government. I'm sure you guys have done a thousand podcasts on diversification and what that does for you. It's got a great diversification. Yeah, yeah. So this is sort of, in the case of bonds, and we're using bond, I'll use bonds as an example, it's opened up the opportunity set for every investor, again, going back to that point I made earlier, to access an investment market, which is deeper than the, deeper than the share market and huge where you couldn't do it before. And, but the same could be saying for gold, right? Well, you not, might not have been able to get enough money to buy that gold. So you're like, I can't buy, I can't have it as part of my allocation. Well, but now you can. Mm-hmm. So the good thing is that many um, ETF providers do, and you keep an eye on this, is they try to keep the dollar amount of the, per unit reasonably low. So you're not like Berkshire Hathaway where it's, I don't know what it is now. Is it seven, dollars $18,000? I'm not sure. Whatever the number is, I'm yeah, not sure. It's, but it's a stupid amount, um, yeah. that's going to cap out a lot of people, at least with an ETF. You know, okay, you've got to get a minimum of 500 in Australia, but that number is then you can actually get access to where maybe that, again, that just opens up your spectrum of what you can buy and allocate to. Well, the great news is these days you don't even need 500 with some of the custodial brokers. Exactly. You can do it for Good even point. less. Yeah. Good point. So I, I guess let's speak about fixed income because – it is, as you said, it's, it's a bigger market than the equities market, but one that uh, a lot of everyday investors probably aren't that familiar with because they just haven't been able to access it. When we see a bond ETF, we see terms like high yield. Uh, Global X has another one, um, corporate bond ETF, yep. Yep. which for a lot of people are new terms. How do we navigate these ETFs? And I guess how do, how do we have to change our thinking when it's a bond ETF as opposed to a equities ETF? Yeah, all really valid questions because you just, you're playing a very different game. It's like playing AFL and playing NRL. The kind of like it's- I'm bad at both of them. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell from what you look like. No. <laughs> no. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a very different game in that with, with a share and a com- buying a company, whatever the company is, or an ETF that is basically out of equities, the upside is essentially unlimited. You know, you, you could you can make as much money as you possibly can because the company can turn the revenues from one dollar to a hundred, and you're going to obviously participate in that. Where where bond ETFs, again, it's the debt side; they're paying that down, so that's always going to go essentially to back to what they call par at a bond, which is a hundred dollars in, in basically every single case. So it's a very different outcome because the outcome isn't about the growth; it's about the consistency of the income. Which is interesting because I think about, you know, again, who you guys talk to, who, who the audience is listening to this, and it's probably not, they're not really thinking, oh, geez, I need some income, you know, like I'm, I'm investing, I'm investing now to compound my money for when I do need income, which is, you know, deep in retirement. Mm-hmm. So what you likely find in fixed income, take a slightly side angle here around asset allocation, is that, and you'd, you know, anyone, I'm assuming everyone's got super, or most people have super. Yeah. You know, I, I would suspect, and I don't know, I won't, I won't speak for every single super fund, whether it's industry fund or, or for profit, that even at the aggressive level, it would be 90% shares, 10% bonds. So you, you've probably got exposure to them already because what that what they do, what the whole point of them is as a portfolio tool, it's to sort of provide that defensive nature that when you know there's a thing called correlation, they're somewhat negatively correlated, not perfectly correlated, but somewhat negatively correlated to shares. So shares are going up at some point bonds are going down and flip side. Now we're in a bit of a weird world right now. We're not going to dive into that. That's about another 10 episode <laughs> series. So we won't go there. But again, going back to the point of, of ETFs, 
it's just the best gate opener mm. for investors to access this world, which they could not even go anywhere near before. Mm. And you could do it. You could buy managed funds, you know, again, filling out paperwork. I don't know who wants to do that. So this is just really a really good gate open for people to go, do I want to, again, asset allocation tool, pair some of this, uh, my, my shares with something that's a little bit more stable, then I can allocate to that. If we go down to your path around the differences in, in fixed income world, so we sort of, and I get a slight skew away from asset allocation, you kind of got, this is very high level again, but three buckets. Government bonds, sovereign bonds or treasuries, that kind of that world, which is issued by Australian government, US government, whoever it is, obviously reasonably safe. These guys can print money to stay alive. You mm. know, unlikely the US government or Australian government is going to default because they own the ability to keep printing money. Yeah. So it's unlikely. Then you start to move down what they call the credit curve. So you go to companies which, to your point, you said corporate bonds, also called investment grade, which are those super high-powered companies that you've heard of, again, possibly in your share portfolio. If you think about it in the US, Apple, Microsoft, all these types of companies that the expectation is, are they going to default? No. How reliable are they going to pay back their debts? Very high. They fit in that bucket. Then you get into that one you mentioned last, which is high yield. These are still companies you're going to know like Ford's one of them, Netflix, I think Tesla's in that bucket. But the chances of them defaulting are slightly higher than the Apple and Microsoft's. So what does that mean they have to do? Pay more income to you as a, as a, to the, on their debt. Hence, they sit in a bit of a different bucket. Higher risk, higher reward. Pretty deep there, but yeah. yeah. No, that was good. I think very clear explanation. Yeah. Because it's, 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 it's an asset class that, yeah, experts often speak about. But um, I feel like the community sometimes um, sort of struggle to, to wrap their heads it's around a, it. It's an asset it class built on jargon yeah. and built on well, people wait, not being able to access it. Wait till you see the top 10 holdings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. It's very, it's, a very, like, it's very hard for any regular investor to think, is this really what for me? And they get to, you know... Investopedia, whatever they're looking at on Google, whatever that, and they go, this is, I'm just, you know, yeah. what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for investors of uh, our generation, they we grew up in a world of uh, falling interest rates and then incredibly low interest rates. And mm. the the idea of like a traditional 60, 40 yeah. stocks and bonds portfolio or anything like that was just Gone. not in our world. Yeah. And the, the past six, 12 months as interest rates have come back up and you're now seeing... Uh, yield or interest paid on corporate bonds to be like meaningful. Pretty reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now the conversation is starting to pick up again. But for people who started investing when Bryce and I started investing, it is a conversation that's new. It's a conversation at, at again, your age group, which probably is fine to be new mm. because you've got the time. You've got the time to ride the equity markets out. Um, whereas, you know, the re- 60 40 portfolios without you know, to your point, 60% of that being shares, 40% being bonds, is usually people who are close to retirement. Mm. It, it basically skews as you get closer and then you it even gets further as you, you know, yeah. it, it might go 40, 60, it might go 70, 30, whatever it is. Um, so that doesn't blow me away and it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but that doesn't mean it should be neglected. Mm. Mm. It still needs to be understood. It may possibly when you start, no, I'd say so, but like if you think about 10 years ago, if you think about when... Fixed income ETFs in America were 10, 15 years after equity ETFs. Yeah, right. Like okay. they, they, and if you look at the, the – and they're gigantic now in the US, $90, 80000000000 billion each, some of these bigger ones. So they're huge. This is US dollars. 
think the Vanguard one only came around in 2007. Yeah, right. Uh, I think one of the, the biggest iShares ones, maybe 2002. So, you know, and again, in the US, they've been around for a um, long time, but the growth of them has been, um, in, yeah, incredible. Mm. And it's starting to really flow through to Australia as well. We're obviously behind. We all, you know, we are, but heavily used. Yeah. Now, really heavily used um, tools in portfolios, again, due to accessibility. Do you own any bond ETFs? No. Yeah, I own ETFs that have bond allocations Different as part question. of like a, a multi-asset, a, yeah, yeah, multi-asset, but no yeah. specific bond ETFs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Blair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will after this. Though, I swear, I'm, I'm not a bond salesman. I promise. Like, <laughs> but you know, you said uh, even if you're not investing in bonds, it's a important thing to start to get your head around and uh, let's start to get our head around it by going under the hood of this ETF and as we have in every episode of this series we've started with the, the ETF's key information the purpose what it's trying to do the index it tracks how it's trying to achieve that purpose and then it's fees how much it costs to do it so let's start with the purpose uh, what does the global x usd high yield bond ETF uh, what's it trying to do so this is giving you access to US dollar denominated bonds. So most of them is going to come out of the US. We can talk about where the geography are of these, of these companies. On companies that sit, as I just mentioned, in that high yield bucket. Technically, there's some credit criteria in that. We won't dive into that necessarily. But again, it's companies that may be considered less likely than those massive mega cap, super cap corporates to pay their debts back. But still, as I said, well-known companies. But what do you get for that? You get compensated on the on the income you receive. So it's a, the good thing about ETFs in this case is it's, as always, it's a basket of these bonds. Mm. So you're getting a huge basket of these bonds. You know, we can talk about these, the specifics, but, you know, the idea is you when you build a portfolio, again, because they, they really are asset allocation tools, you've got a few options. And in the case of what we've got, so we've got a US Treasury, so we talked about that before, a government ETF, we've got a US corporate ETF, and we've got a US high yield the idea here is, and this might be, I'm not trying to make it complicated, is you essentially want to pair those three together in a nice way to, to work out what risk you have to either the government side or the high yield side or the corporate side to have a nice income coming from that, but also have much risk as you want. And so Blair, like uh, all of these ETFs we've been talking about, even in the bond world, it still does track an index. That's right. So these are, these are, pa- those are passive. These have rules around them. It's a no... When you think about active, it's someone making a decision at an individual company level or bond level saying, I want that thing in the portfolio. Where these have a set rule, these are what fit in because of these criteria and then we have to then, you know, buy those particular bonds to allocate to that. Yeah, so it's not someone at GlobalX saying, get rid of those Ford bonds and put some Spotify ones in there. Definitely not, mate. (laughs) (laughs) And the fees to access this ETF are 40 basis points or 0.4%. That's right. Yep. So, Bryce, you've been looking at the fund return. Drilling the numbers. That's it, Ren. Uh, well, it's in, it's a newly listed ETF. It is, yeah. So, we don't have um, performance over the last 12 months, but uh, over the last three, it is uh, up just over 2%. Okay. So, yeah, love, love we've a had gr- a bit of revival uh, over the last, you know, three months. It's It's... You know, 2022 was a tough run for bonds as it was for equities. This is where we went through this period where they were reasonably correlated. So that means they moved somewhat in lockstep and that's broken apart back to, towards more normal now. But the high yield in particular, so this one, is probably more correlated to shares yeah. mm-hmm. than, than you would expect from the Treasury one because yeah. it's a government issued versus, you know, 
company. So uh, that doesn't yeah, that, that those numbers sort of stack up. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Blair, in terms of the uh, geographic allocation, no surprises that it's seventy eight percent. US, given that it's a USD high well, yield bond? I, actually, some people might be surprised that it's not higher. If it says USD on the name, why isn't it 100%? You would be denominated though. So there is some companies that might denominate uh, in US, in US dollar that aren't US companies. But again, the majority is always going to be US. It's by far the deepest mm. bond market globally by an absolute stretch. And, and so just to really explain that, like, Bryce and I, running equity mates, if rather, if we want to raise debt, we could sell bonds to an Australian investor in Aussie dollars, but we could go over to the US and sell bonds in US dollars to US investors. And then we would show up on this uh, as an Australian company but US denominated debt. Yeah, if you guys yeah. somehow broke through into the US. <laughs> what do you mean somehow? Somehow, <laughs> somehow broke Shout through. Shout out to all our US listeners. <laughs> uh, yes, and you had a business there and you had a reason to do it. You can, yeah, Obviously, you can do that. So then in terms of sectors, uh, we've got consumer cyclical at 24%, communications 18 consumer non-cyclical 15 and energy at 10 This is just representative of the types of companies that are raising debt uh, with the bonds that exactly. are giving, you guys, giving us exposure. So This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So that brings us to the top 10 holdings. Now, every single example we've had thus far have been company names. Let me read out the first (laughs) two holdings here. Number one holding is the TDG61-403-15-26. And the second is the TIBX61-23-3129. What are we looking at here? I have no the- idea. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little bit on us. That's the, the basically the code, the payment and the maturity of the bond. Yes. Mm. We need to, as a business, make sure that's easy to understand. So we actually are we're going to improve that on the website. So on the fact sheet, if you go into the fact sheet, that is a bit clearer. Uh, but we're going to go, we're going to on the website, publish the company name in general rather than the, than the code and the, and the, and the bond sort of um, characteristics, which will help people. I think, I think what's important to note, this, this is what you, essentially what you get in, in somewhat bond ETFs. In this one, you get over a thousand bonds. Yeah. So, so what's going to happen is a company is going to issue more than one bond sometimes mm. and different, t- different lengths of maturity. Maturity means they might issue it saying, we're going to pay it back by 2025 and they issue another one next year saying they're going to pay it back by 2026. So they've got two essentially running parallel. It's not like a mortgage necessarily. It's they're, they're obviously different in that nature. So we've got over a thousand bonds, but only I think I calculated this correctly about three hundred and ninety companies. Okay. Oh, so wow, okay. you're getting multiple bonds for the same company. Yeah. Packaged up for the first one that Bryce read, TDG six uh, and a quarter, oh three fifteen twenty six, TDG Transdime the company. Yep. Six, one slash four, uh, six and a quarter percent yield. 
And then uh, the American way of presenting a date, the 15th of March, 2026. Yeah, it's criminal, I know. But yes, that's correct. Yeah, okay. I think I worked out the numbers, like the names that you're going to get at the top of the list if you amalgamate all those, which um, we can provide to anyone who wants us to do that, uh, is the Fords of the world, again, the Netflix and the Teslas. These are the companies that are, again, they're not going to be huge weights, Mm. 2% yeah. at best of their bonds or 3% of the total weighting. But they're the ones you're going to, again, people will know and are at the top because mm. they likely are. Larger companies have more debt. Yeah. Just looking at some of these companies, Dish has to pay 11.75% interest on their loans. Tough. Rookies. <laughs> <laughs> so you will find more information on the holdings on the fact sheet and uh, on the company, uh, on the, the product page. Uh, so don't be put off. That's, that is just the, the jargon and the nature of the bond market. But um, as, as Ren sort of alluded to there, you can kind of work through, through it if, if you wanted to. But just to, to close out, we've been with all of these episodes trying to figure out where these fit in and our portfolios and, and the role that they can play. Generally speaking, it's either a core or a satellite approach. How, how would you think about where bonds fit in, in a portfolio? Yeah, they're, they're not – it, it kind of breaks the core and satellite mm. model a little bit because bonds aren't sexy and they're not meant to be. So, like <laughs> – uh, but they, they – they, look, I'd, I'd call them a core as a function, again, of how you want to build out your portfolio as a broader asset allocation piece. So – whether that split is not perfectly nice at 90, 10, 80, 20, whatever that number is, it's not going to be perfect. And, and I'd, again, the audience in this room, I don't have any either. I don't have any bond ETFs in my portfolio. Um, I do in the super, but not in my, not in my personal portfolio. You know, I'm 40 years old. Hopefully I've got another, another what's an retirement age, 25 years of working. Like mm. there's enough time to grind out those the downtimes. Um, I've already been through the GFC. Yeah. I didn't lose that much money. I got grey hair from it, but I didn't lose any <laughs> money because um, I wrote it out. So you got more time. But as I get older, that's when you want to start allocating to these. So you know, it really is an asset allocation tool, and it is yes, definitely in the core. I've never heard anyone talk about for bonds about core and satellite because yeah. it's just yeah. it's the base of what you're building. Yeah. It's kind of is that that foundation of the portfolio. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of could do your own core and satellite when it comes to bonds and you have a core which is like AAA rated corporate bonds and government bonds and then you have satellite which is your dish paying 11% interest. <laughs> oh my goodness. I wait, fun. I wait to put it, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we don't have to go. Uh, we, we, but guys, we set out to answer the question... Um, how do we approach non-equity investment with ETFs? Now, we did get a bit into bonds there, but to bring it right back to the start, which was ETFs provide us with great opportunity to get access to non-equity asset classes. We spoke about gold, we spoke about uh, cryptocurrency, we've spoken about bonds, um, and they all have a different role to play in our portfolios. Yeah, I think it's just worth thinking about the world before ETFs and the world after ETFs when it comes to like... You know, imagine being a millionaire in the 1950s and you wanted a diversified portfolio and the efforts you would have to go to add gold and property and you know alternative assets and bonds and shares into one portfolio and the ease at which any of us can do it now with mm. a few ETFs. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's 100% the golden age for, for non 
you know, ultra rich people yeah. to invest. Yeah. And it's only going to get better. Like the technology is getting better and better. There's this whole new world of sort of direct indexing where you can actually figure out your own self around what you put in, put out. So hopefully in 10 years' time, we're, you know, we're sitting here and an ETF still a massive part of, uh, but there's a whole new thing that's out mm. there that you can do. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree. And, and bonds is a really good example of that. Gold's another example. You know, all kind of that alternate asset yeah. type structures are a great example yeah. of of the opening the access that ETFs has given people. Yeah. Well, GlobalX have plenty uh, of options when it comes to the type of ETFs that we've been talking about. Over 30 targeted products globally uh, and an industry-leading research team behind all of them. So, Blair, thank you so much for coming on. We've got uh, the final episode in our Under the Hood series. It's going to be sad to see it over, but we've, um, we've really covered a lot of ground. So, thank you for this episode and uh, can't wait to pick it up in the next one. Sounds good. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.